Let's turn together now to 1 Peter at chapter 5 and reading at verse number 8. 1 Peter 5 at verse number 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so on down to the end of verse number 11. Now we can't imagine those who are uh, hearing this letter being read, uh, this letter from Peter to them. We can imagine how they are wondering what is going to come next. We have the privilege of having the whole letter written out before us and we can see the end before the beginning if we so wish. But they are in the congregation. They are listening to the letter being read and, uh, and Peter has in, in, in so many ways described their experience as Christians in the world. They feel like exiles in the world and and so they are, and he has explained to them what that means, that the Christians are those who are born again by the Spirit of God. He has also spoken to them about Christians and suffering, and they are struggling with suffering for their faith. He has moved from speaking about who they are as the people of God and their suffering and why the suffering is there. He has spoken to them as Christians in the culture in which they find themselves, surrounded by unbelievers, surrounded by unbelievers who, who put pressure upon them and the way in which they are to live their lives in the midst of that kind of culture. He has also spoken to them about being Christians and, and the strength of the Christian community, how they are to encourage one another and to love one another, how they are to live under the structures that God has given to them for their security. He has spoken so widely about all of their particular needs in such a practical way. How is he going to conclude the letter? What's he going to do next? Well, perhaps he concludes the letter in a rather surprising way. And he does so by mentioning someone that he has not mentioned before. He comes to speak of the devil. And by coming to speak of the devil, he places all of their experience and all of their suffering as if it were into the amphitheater with which they would be familiar where there is the circular arena where people are sitting and they're looking down on what's taking place in the very center. And he wants them to see their suffering in a new light in that amphitheater. And today, God wants us to take our seats in that same amphitheater in our minds and to look down about what's happening in the world and by doing so to see the way in which the devil is there, we are there, God is there, and to see the way in which we are faced and surrounded by danger. He comes to close the letter in that surprising way and brings everything under the banner of God's program in Genesis 3.15 where there is that enmity, 
that's going to follow in the world until the end of time. And so today we want to close our study of this letter and to think of the strategy of Satan and the triumph of grace. I want to think, first of all, of the readiness that we're called upon to have in these verses. Be sober-minded, be watchful. We have come across this, this word before in chapter 4 and chapter 1, this idea of being sober-minded. And in, in simple terms, it's, it's about not being fuzzy in our minds in any way. And not being fuzzy in our minds in any way with regard to our understanding of the Word of God. It's ensuring that our minds are not intoxicated by anything that happens in the world around us, anything that happens in our own lives, not being intoxicated by any of these things, but to maintain a clear way of thinking and a clear way of understanding what God requires us to do and how he commands us to live our lives in this world. And we know ourselves in our different experience how, how quickly our minds can become fuzzy. How quickly something can happen, how quickly we can be distracted, and all of our, all of a sudden our minds are coming from from the plane of of giving heed to what God is saying, and descending down into a worldly way of thinking. We become completely fuzzy, and we lose sight of what the Word of God says. We've lost the clarity of understanding that. And we come to the Word of God on every Lord's Day and we come to hear what God is speaking to us. And perhaps by the time we reach home, we have descended from that plane of listening to God and something else has taken us away from our attention to the Word of God. And God, as God is telling them, He is telling us today to be on our guard against that. It happens so easily. And we, we normalize that kind of behavior. And the Word of God can become something that happens once a week or twice a week and not for the rest of it. We need to be sober-minded, to be clear in a relationship with the Word of God. And along with that, he wants them to be watchful, to be on their guard to be on the alert. We read and sang in Psalm number 130, the way in which the psalmist is watching more than those who watch for the breaking of the day. It's that sense of alertness to what God is saying, alertness to what God has said he will do, alertness in the sense of, of not slacking and giving your energy to, to, to our sober-mindedness, Constantly watching and being ready. And when Peter is asking them to do that, let's remember when he mentions this whole idea that he must have felt the pain of his own failure. Because he was with Jesus, and Jesus saying to them, Satan has desired to have you to sift you like wheat. And Simon Peter is saying, whatever others do, I, I will never deny you. I will, I will die for you. And then 
in the amphitheater of the Garden of Gethsemane. What does Jesus find when, when he comes back to the disciples after praying? Simon, Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? He found them asleep. And Peter wants his readers not to make the same mistake, not to go through the pain that he went through. Instead, he wants them to stay awake. He wants them to be watchful. He wants them to be ready. And today, I'm sure there are those here who have felt Peter's pain and who don't want you to feel the same pain, who want you to be on the alert, who want to make sure that you don't sleep, who want to make sure that you don't fall into that trap of of fuzziness and heaviness, so that you're sleepwalking your way along life's way and forgetting the words of Jesus. Readiness. It's about what happens in your heart. It's about setting a program, as if it were, in your mind. That this is the way that you're going to live. And this will be your course of action. Don't discover the pain of sleeping when you should have been listening to the words of Jesus. And why does he want them to be ready? Because there is a great conflict. When we're sleepwalking, we, we're not fully aware of what's happening around us. When we're fussy in our minds as, as Christian believers, we don't understand the, the danger that we are exposed to. Our parents, when we're children, they see dangers that we're exposed to that our children cannot begin to understand for themselves. And so he is speaking to them as those who are in that kind of danger. And he's saying to them, why should you, should you be watchful? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your adversary. The simple idea of, of the adversary is somebody taking you to a court of law to accuse you of a certain thing. That's the adversary. We see that happening in the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 3. That Satan was at Joshua the high priest's right hand to accuse him before God. The adversary is the accuser in the court of law. The devil is the deceiver, the manipulator, the one who wants to, to draw away, uh, to lead away in a, in a, without you realizing what he's doing as, as he deceived even the garden. There is that kind of deception and that kind of, of leading away. He's a schemer. He has his, his brilliant schemes. If we could read about what he does and how he works it out, we would marvel at the wisdom with which he operates and the cleverness of a strategy that he understands everything about you, everything about your thoughts and, and your weaknesses. He is masterful at 
having a complete knowledge of you and being able to work out a strategy on that basis. So Peter is saying to them, this is why you need to be watchful. There is the person who is going to accuse you in God's law court, and there's the person who's going to deceive you and lead you away. And the both sides of that, we know that that Satan is a master at trying to rob us of the peace of our forgiveness and the, the completeness of our forgiveness. And the moment that, that he sees you committing a sin, he is right in there to accuse you before God. He was in the presence of God with regard to Job, and, and Job was fearing God because God was prospering with him. Satan wanted to, or God gave, him, God gave Satan leave to, to go and cause suffering for Job. That there is that sense in which Satan delights in putting you in your mind's way of thinking into the presence of God and feel guilty there with no hope of forgiveness. And he does bring that sense of guilt into our thinking so quickly and so easily. And our peace is gone. It's the same as the deceiver. He lures away. He plants the bait. And we find the bait irresistible. He knows uh, the bait that, that, that suits you personally. And he'll lay it in your path. And he, it's so attractive to you. And all the arguments why you shouldn't take the bait soon disappear out of your mind. And you're captivated by the powerful attraction of what has been designed to meet your desires and your lusts. And in a moment it's gone. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten what God has said. And instead you want to satisfy yourself on, on this thing that Satan has designed for you. Your adversary, the devil, he is there seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to swallow up. And swallowing up in the sense of, of bringing their faith to an end. So that it, not only the faith comes to an end, but so that the person who is firmly in, in the kingdom of God and in the fold of the shepherd who is the Lord Jesus will lose their place there and will become part of, of his kingdom. It's swallowing up completely the very faith which they were exercising and doing so by, by way of intimidation, by way of, of the power of the suffering that they were enduring, all of these things designed in his purposes to rob and to bring down and to, to destroy their, their very faith. Be ready. Be on the alert. Be on your guard because Satan wants to take away the very thing that God wants you to have. And that is simply Devotion to the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The readiness.
Secondly, the readiness is followed by resistance. Resist him, firm your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. Stand against him. Set up your army against this great enemy. All that you are in the whole of your being may it stand against Satan, the adversary, the devil. Of course, it's not a visible, physical battle. But it is something that's psychological. It's something that's, that happens in our intellect. It's something that, that causes us to have a particular kind of behavior and a particular kind of relationship with the very enemy that stands before us. It's something that, that takes all of our energy to ensure that we triumph over, that we're not swallowed up by this enemy that seeks to devour us. And one of the writers on, on this passage, he gives the illustration that, that sometimes as Christians we're like somebody who hear a knock on their door and there's a traveling salesman and they're offering some kind of exchange of goods. We don't really want the goods, but... but it, Instead of saying to the salesman, we don't want anything, and shutting the door and locking it, we leave the door a wee bit ajar and allow the salesman to carry on the sales pitch. And he's saying that so often that's what we do as Christians. Well, the temptation is there, and we know we shouldn't accept the temptation. But our resistance is not 100%. The door is left open. And as long as the door is left open, then we're, we're, we're under threat. We've opened ourselves to, to the powerful influence of our adversary, the devil. And I'm sure we all agree that so often that is what we do. A resistance to the devil and to his work and to his strategy is not a complete re- rejection of what he p- proposes to us. Because of a strategy that is something in his proposal that we find at least a little bit attractive. And we see the, the glory of God's law that tells us we must be holy because God is holy. But we don't shut the door. Perhaps that may be your own biggest trouble. That in the moment when you come to, to believe in the Lord Jesus, come to continue to give your life to him, that you leave the door open to the very thing that will cause you to struggle, that will cause you to fall, and that may ultimately cause you to lose your salvation because you haven't given the whole of your heart to the Lord Jesus. And when he asks, commands him to resist the devil, there is a strategy which they should employ in order to destroy the strategy of the devil. And it's a simple strategy. 
resist him, fit him in your faith. There is no way in which they are going to stop experience suffering by changing the way that they live. It's part of Christian experience. But the way that they can stand is to stand firm in the faith. In other words, their minds filled with the truth, cleared of all fuzziness, they understand the faith of the gospel. They understand the truths of the gospel. And when, from our readings in Revelation 12 and our reading in Revelation 5, we, we can capture these two important elements of the strategy with which they are going to be successful. And the first of these is in Revelation chapter 5, where no one is found worthy to open the books. And then the voice comes to stop crying because the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has conquered, he has prevailed, and he is worthy to open the scrolls. And there in the midst of the throne, there was a lamb standing as if he had been slain. Fit him in the faith, fit him in the knowledge that there is a lion that we can trust and that he has conquered through the cross at Calvary, that he has conquered through his resurrection. And today we can stand firm in the gospel. We can resist the devil because Jesus has triumphed over him. He has conquered. And that's the second thing that we read in Revelation 12. There is a struggle in heaven. There is the ancient serpent called the devil and Satan who is cast out of heaven. He has lost his influence and his presence at God's throne as the accuser. He is thrown into the world. But the thing is, he has been defeated. Resist him, fit him in your faith. And there is nothing today that's going to enable you or anyone to stand against the roaring lion that is the devil. But your faith in the great lion of the tribe of Judah, who has ransomed us to God by his blood, who has destroyed the devil, the one who has the power of death, and who sits enthroned today at God's right hand. The resistance. It's there. It's the children's story. What does the mother do? What does the child do? There is the, the arms of embrace. Come and give me a hug. There is the heartstrings of the child that, that run directly to their mother to, to be embraced by the love. And today that's a resistance to the strategy of the devil. Let us hear and see the arms of Jesus come unto me and let us feel him drawing our heart strings in our love for him that takes our attention away from the danger that we don't really understand 
but that gives to us eyes only for him, a heart only to love him 100%, to close the door on the adversary and to leave our way plain and clear into the protective arms of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. The resistance. What? How do you respond now? How will you respond when you leave here? How will you respond for the rest of this week? You can resist him firm in your faith or you can leave the door open for him and he will rejoice in causing you to stumble and fall and carry on in, in your Christless life. You will be happy if you do that. But God's love and God's Son who loves you and gave himself for you, he today wants you to trust in him and to stand for him in him. The readiness, the resistance, and the reassurance. After you have suffered a little while, this letter is so full of, of, of these two words, a little while. That's all it is compared to the bigger picture. This is for a little while. After that little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The God of grace. In whose heart grace finds its origin. From whose heart grace flows. The grace that has caused them to be born again in chapter 1. The grace that has caused them to give their lives to the Lord Jesus. The, the grace with which God has, has called them. With that holy summons, that irresistible call of the grace of God. That came into their lives and caused them to be as if it were not hearing any other voice but but the, the glory and the excellence and the power and, and the authority of, of the voice of Jesus Christ in the gospel called into the fellowship of the Son of God. But to call them, in this case, to his eternal glory in Christ. From the amphitheater of the work of the devil and their sufferings in the world into the theater of his eternal glory in Christ in heaven beyond. And is it not worth for them, was it not worth for them as it is for ourselves today not to forget the purpose of God's call upon our lives that it is to take us from this place of grace and this place of suffering into his eternal glory. As Paul calls it in, in Philippians chapter 3, the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. As we saw last Sunday evening, the way in which there is this call that causes them to, to follow the Lord Jesus. 
horizontally, but it also includes this upward aspect, so that every step that they take is a journey upwards as well as along the way, until at last they are in glory with him. And that's a reassurance that today that glory awaits us as it awaited him. And in that day, there, Peter uses all of these words that, that speak to us of, of the way in which we are to be established in that day of glory. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will restore you. He will make you ready and fit for purpose. And if we understand anything about the work of grace today, we, we do understand that we are not fit for glory. We do understand that we're not like the kind of people that can inhabit that place of paradise. We do understand that great changes need to take place. And, and, and as much as as the disciples needed to mend their nets to make them fit for fishing. So God will restore us and make us suitable and make us ready to be adorned by, by, by the glory of the kingdom of heaven. There's that reassurance. The temptation is there. The, the suffering is there. The devil is there. Everything that's so unlike the glory of God's kingdom. We're reassured by God today that he will bring about the change and he will change everything about you that needs to be changed so that you'll be ready to take that step to be in glory with him. And in that equipping that is confirmation, that is strengthening and that is establishing, that is placing their feet as if it were standing firm in the kingdom of God. They are to stand firm in the world, resisting the devil. But God will make them stand firm in his kingdom as those who are established. And being established is standing on the foundation. It is being like we saw in chapter 2, that they are like living stones built up a spiritual temple to God with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and on that day of, of our glory we will sense the security of standing on the rock which is Christ and nothing to cause us to see a storm or to feel any kind of threat, and nothing that will cause us to, to think or to see of the adversary that, that we have left behind. And on that day of glory, we will be like the children of Israel at the Red Sea when they saw the corpses of the Egyptians coming ashore because of the mighty hand of God. And we will leave the place of suffering. We will enter the place of glory and all of these things will be left behind. Today, let's make sure we're ready. Today, let's make sure we resist the devil. 
Today let's be reassured and let's go forward together and let's be in that day of glory together. And to our marvels that would be if all of us found ourselves on that rock in that unshakable kingdom around the throne of God to be with Christ our Saviour and all the people of God forevermore. May God bless his word as may grant that it should be so. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we seek to continue to bow before you. We do give thanks to you that your word and your grace is everything that we need and all that we need. And help us to live lives that remember that from day to day. And help us that you might save us from making the mistake of thinking we can help ourselves or defend ourselves or even save ourselves. But give to us that firm realization in our hearts that by grace we are saved, by grace we are kept, and by grace we are brought into glory. So bless your word to us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is Psalm 106 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 378, and we're singing verses 1 to the verse marked 5. Psalm 106, at verse number 1, on page 378. Give praise and thanks unto the Lord, for bountiful is he, his tender mercy doth endure unto eternity. Down to the verse marked 5, to God's praise. Give praise and thanks unto the Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.